We're here for the member only. That was a great opening. Uh, that was perfect, that. perfect, uh, smooth, yeah, so smooth. This caught me off guard. Um, <laughs> this is your member only webinar with me, Kevin Michalowski, and attorney Tom Grieve. Um, welcome all our uh, Platinum and Elite members as uh, we answer your questions on the legal aspects of carrying a gun. And again, this is Tom Grieve. He is a former state prosecutor and uh, now heads the largest criminal defense attorney uh, um, practice. That's, uh, yeah. we'll I'm not a that. lawyer. I don't use the big words. That's all right. Um, <laughs> it, it, here in the state of Wisconsin. So um, we apologize for being late. Um, we'll blame it on Max. Not saying it's his fault, saying we're blaming it on him, but uh, there's a big difference. So um, here we are. We're here now. We're ready to go. We are here to answer your questions. So um, I'll let you jump right in. This first one about uh, carrying in a no-gun zone. So uh, take that. All right, great. The first question is, if carrying past the no weapons allowed sign and he, uh, yeah, okay. So if carrying past the no weapons allowed sign and he were asked to leave by an employee, then self-defense incident occurred, what issues would he have? So I think basically if you're, if you're carrying past a, yeah. a posted prohibited place. You're in a gun-free zone. An employee spots you and asks you to leave. And then some sort of self-defense incident takes place where you have to use your firearm. Mm -hmm. What happens? Yeah, right? that sums it up. That sums it up. All right. So the short answer to the question is really, and you're going to hear this a lot today, folks. And if you've seen any of our videos in the past, you know what I'm about to say. <laughs> so just chant it with me. Your, your, check your local listings. Your mileage may vary. All right. And what I mean by that is that so much varies depending upon what state, what jurisdiction you're in, because that's going to control not only what kind of laws are in place, but also the local attitudes towards enforcement, because you can't lose sight of that latter portion either. We can all read about the laws, and a fantastic place to do so is USCCA.com forward slash laws with an S at the end. But knowing that local enforcement attitude, how do prosecutors and law enforcement and judges go about prosecuting and handling cases, that goes a long way as well. Now let's pivot that back into this question. So what happens in that particular case? Could be virtually anything. I mean, we could be looking at felony charges and possible years or even decades in prison. We could be looking at, depending upon local attitudes, because keep in mind, I'm assuming based on how the question's written, we're breaking some sort of law, right? Because you're in a posted spot, you've been called out, and you stayed there anyways, apparently, all right? But it could be like here in Wisconsin, if I'm on private property, if I'm in a mall or something like that happens, arguably, maybe I'm only looking at a forfeiture violation or a small misdemeanor or something like that. And that's not to condone breaking the law. I'm just saying that in the spectrum of problems, that's going to be a very different issue as compared to if we're on a USPS, United States Postal Service property, where now we're looking at federal felonies or maybe some sort of school zone. We're looking at possibly both state and federal issues, depending upon where you are. So just keep in mind that where you are, there's the laws as they are written on the books, and then there's how they get enforced and practiced in court. Those can be two totally different things, and that's gonna be the really critical thing. That's gonna be the really, really critical piece for having that fantastic criminal defense attorney, wherever you are, and of course, that's part of the reason why you're USCCA members. Yeah, start by learning your local laws, because um, that, that's where everything uh, falls into place. And Tom is absolutely right. Police officers at the scene have officer discretion on what they're going to do and what they're going to put in their report. And prosecutors have prosecutorial discretion on how they're going to treat you after you're done. You know, for the longest time prior to 2011, most of the police officers that I worked with would tell folks in the state of Wisconsin that 
if you had a concealed weapon on you and you used it legally to defend yourself, the fact that you had a concealed weapon was the least of your problems. If you had a concealed weapon on you and you used it illegally, the fact that you had a concealed weapon was the least of your problems because um, it, it was only a misdemeanor, you know, carrying, right. carrying a concealed weapon. So, um, again, uscca.com slash laws. Um, go there. That is a great place to start and, and get yourself educated on what's happening locally. So... Uh, we have a question about uh, guns in the home. Both my husband and I have uh, guns, and uh, what if I used one of his guns to defend myself in the home? Is there legal liability? And again, it's going to be a check your local listing. There are a couple of states out there, New Jersey and, and I believe New Mexico, um, who have laws that, that your concealed carry permit or your firearms ownership is tied to a single gun, or you, you have to register that gun and, and that belongs to that person. Um, there could be problems with that. There could be so, issues. Yeah. But beyond those kind of issues, assuming that the firearm is lawful and the fact that you're lawfully possessing the firearm, in other words, we don't have scratched out serial numbers, it's not an unpapered machine gun or something like that, uh, yes, these things could happen, all right? Yep. Um, assuming we don't have any of those kind of issues about the firearm and assuming that you are not a prohibited possessor under state or federal law, no felony convictions, anything like that, then in other words, if you're lawfully possessing the firearm, then we're just down to whatever your state, your location's laws are as far as the laws of self-defense go. So as long as then you had the lawful firearm, you can lawfully possess it, and then if you used it lawfully where those two meet, then you got all three and you should be okay. In theory, again, right. Yeah, in, going back to the laws yeah. and, and prosecutorial yeah. discretion and so yeah. forth. And, and again, get a good attorney right. and, and make sure that you're covered that way. Um, somebody, uh, I wish I had a name for this one so I could ask specifically who this was. Um, is there any circumstance in which I should shoot to wound rather than shoot to kill? And am I supposed to only use my gun to defend against deadly force? Can I employ less than a lethal response? There's a lot of questions rolling around in there. A lot there. of excellent questions. Yeah, and uh, um, I will tell you that we are not trying to kill anyone. We are trying to stop the threat. And uh, if the person dies when you try to stop the threat, we are very sorry about that. We didn't intend to do that. We just wanted them to stop their imminently dangerous, aggressive behavior. Um, sometimes to do that, we have to reduce blood pressure to zero, and, and then the result of that is death. So, um, but we're not trying to shoot to kill. We're trying to stop the threat. And I will tell you that if you try to shoot somebody in the kneecap or hit them in the elbow or something like that under a very severe, imminent, deadly threat and you're fighting for your life, you're probably going to miss. Shoot for the center portion of the body and do your best to put bullets into that person anywhere you can to stop them from committing their violent act. And then if they die, then we'll deal with that at, at a later date. But um, please don't tell your attorney or the police officers or anyone else that you were trying to kill them. We don't want to hear that. You were trying to stop the threat. So. And, you know, what? the way I, I try to break this down for folks is this, is you have to start with what level of force are you using. And, again, check your local listings. But every jurisdiction I'm familiar with, this is not a promise or guarantee. I'm just saying everyone I'm familiar with, everywhere I'm familiar with, Using a firearm, in other words, pulling the trigger, pulling it out, pointing towards someone, pulling the trigger, that's going to be considered, under the law, deadly force. Whether you hit them in the knee, whether you hit them in the toe, whether you hit them in the heart, in the face, whatever. It's all going to be deadly force. The significance of this is very important because you can only use deadly force. You're only privileged, under the law, to use deadly force if you're protecting yourself from some sort of reasonable, imminent, deadly threat. 
And again, the wording on how and when you can protect yourself and when that, that qualifiers come into place, check your local listings, uscca.com forward slash laws with an S, all right? But that's gonna be critical because if you're not facing that deadly threat, you can't use deadly force. And I'm sorry, I'm not here to rain on anyone's parade, but you better off hear it, hearing it from me rather than the judge at your sentencing hearing when you're facing 10, 20, however many years of prison because you thought that was okay, all right? Mm -hmm. I'm not here to argue the point with you folks. I'm just saying here's the way it is, whether you want it to be or not, all right? And I'm not trying to do that in a sarcastic, condescending, demeaning manner. I'm trying to do that so you know what you need to do, to do in order to protect yourself and your family, which includes waking up and being there for them next week, next month, next year. You can't do that if you're behind bars. So if you can only use deadly force, pulling the trigger of a firearm, pointed at someone, or maybe even not pointed at someone as well. If you can only use that if you're privileged because you're responding to deadly force, now we feed right back to exactly what Kevin was saying is, if you're facing deadly force, if you're facing somebody who might be killing you, I don't know why you're aiming for their toe or their knee. Yeah. Um, unless your name's John Wick or something like that, uh, I would probably not be doing that, all right? Yeah, the, the term that we use in the police service is objectively reasonable. The force that is allowed to be used must be objectively reasonable. And those wordings allow attorneys and judges to um, make a case, um, make an argument, and deliberate about it and, and figure it all out. And part of that question was, can I use a lesser level of force? And in the old days, there used to be a term called the force continuum. And we've abandoned that term now because it made people think that you had to go from one level of force to the next, to the next, to the next, to finally use deadly force. And, and you don't have to go from one to the next. The term we use now is intervention options. So what are you going to do? What options do you have? And the intervention options we have, we, we detail them as police officers, is, and, and they apply to everyone really when it's out there, is you have presence. Just the fact that you're there might de-escalate a situation. Dialogue, can you talk your way out of it? Um, control alternatives, can you control this person with your hands? Protective alternatives, are you using some other weapon to impede their advancement? And then deadly force. So we have those laid out in front of us, and based on our knowledge of the situation and based on what we reasonably believe is happening to us, we can use any one of those anywhere along that option. The intervention options, if we have to skip right from dialogue, talking, to deadly force, shooting, because we reasonably believe that nothing else in between will work, yes, we can go ahead and do that. So um, if you choose to attempt to employ a less than lethal option, understand that you're doing that because you think that option will work. If you choose to in, uh, employ deadly force, you're using deadly force because you think none of the other options will work, to stop this imminent threat, which, which could take your life or cause you great bodily harm. So the, the options are out there, but don't think you have to go through them one at a time until you get to deadly force, because in that time, an attack happens pretty quick and you right. could end up dead. Right, yeah. Kevin, you said something that actually reminded me of something, and before we go on to the next question, uh, I'm guessing that some of the platinum and elite level people are gonna like this, because you said something that just triggered all sorts of memories for me, and I'm thinking that since this is not public content, if I'm amused by it, those guys are gonna be amused by it down the lens. So something that, that always amuses us as criminal defense attorneys, and, and as well as when I was a prosecutor, is reading police reports. Because you guys, Kevin, yep. Kevin's a law enforcement officer, you guys 
have to have sometimes the greatest sense of humor when you write these things because, and I'll get to the point here, I'm reading about whatever it is, some sort of scuffle that ensued, somebody is resisting, and, it, and the officer says, I horizontally destabilized the subject yeah. after employing a defensive strike to the, to the, to the, to the person's yeah. forehead yeah. Uh, and guided them to the ground. Yeah. Okay, so you punched them at the face, threw them on the top of your squad car, and then pushed them down to the ground. I mean, we directed him to we the ground. Directed, we directed right. my, him. My apologies. We directed, directed him, him after horizontally destabilizing. Yeah. I yeah. just love all of that, all that yeah. cop speak. It's yeah. fantastic. Please keep it coming, guys, yeah. for any law enforcement uh, men and women. It's, it's, it brings joy and humor yeah. to our days as, as speaking probably yeah. for, well, I, I think many prosecutors and defense attorneys. Um, any, any favorite, without going into maybe too many details, of any favorite terms that you've seen or heard about? Well, I, I prefer the term decentralized. Decentralized. That's what we, we decentralize yeah. the subject, um, oh. which is putting them somehow on the ground. Somehow. Yeah, decentralized. They, they got the there. Yep. They got um, there. And, and then uh, um, uh, uh, directed them to the ground in order to facilitate the arrest. We're facilitating, at, yeah, folks. At, That's at what that, we're doing. At that point. Um, at, all the while instructing the subject to stop resisting. Because um, you're uh, teachers. Yes. yes. We're, 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 we're teaching. It's we're, a teachable moment. We're giving them the opportunity That's right. to stop resisting. To comply. Yes. So, um, <laughs> and, and, yeah. Directing them to there, and, and we use the term focused strikes. Yes. yes. Oh, I forgot Fo the focused yeah, strikes. Yeah, the, the focused the, strikes are I, to I gain compliance. repeated yeah. focused strikes to the yes. subject's chest area yeah. to gain compliance. So you just yeah. punch them in the ribs and stomach a bunch yeah. is basically what to, that is. Yeah, yeah. To, to get so, them, so. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed that little interlude. So, <laughs> so there you go. Um, Member-only content, folks. Yeah. Elite Platinum. Yeah, you guys are getting the good <laughs> stuff. This is the good stuff, right. <laughs> so. Um, is it a good idea to put a camera on your firearm? And if so, is there any suggested brand? I'm going to go with a yes on this one. And if uh, you folks out there have been watching the Into the Fray videos, you see that I've been using the new Viridian gun-mounted camera, which provides HD video and audio. Um, and the model that I have, uh, it's, it's the, uh, the high-end law enforcement style model, a 500 lumen light. And uh, I've been using it for some of the videos on Into the Fray, and we're probably going to use it on some upcoming Proving Ground videos. Um, I like this camera. Uh, it comes on instantly as you draw from the holster, and it records audio all over the place and, uh, and video right in front of the gun, right in front of the muzzle. So sometimes gunfights only last a few seconds, but if you can capture the actions of that person in front of you clearly on video, that's going to be helpful in the long run when you're utilizing that in court. So. And the camera turns on as soon as you draw from the holster? Yep, as soon as you come out of the holster, actually, as soon as it moves away from, there's a rare earth magnet in the holster, so you'll actually see the inside of the holster. The camera comes mm. on that quickly, uh, along with the light, and you bring it up on target, and mm. uh, it records everything that goes on out front. Something that I'd encourage you folks to, to think about is the fact that, um, and you know, our firm has handled any number of self-defense, firearm cases, you name it. Um, there's always a question of what happened. And even if there's no witnesses, even if there's only our guy, our client, mm -hmm. usually by the time we get to him, all right, so he's called 911, he's gone through four, eight, 10 hours of interrogation by law enforcement. 
If I asked you, what did you do for dinner yesterday night? What did you have? Take me through it step by step. How did you cook it? How did this other person cook it? And I asked you, and then Kevin asked you, then Max asked you, and we had four different people ask you, each of us three different times over the course of 10 hours, and we're talking grinding detail through grinding detail. You're not gonna be able to tell the exact same story over and over again. That doesn't mean you're lying. It means you're human. The problem is that law enforcement's gonna look at this and it's gonna create a little bit of daylight in the stories. And I'm not trying to attack or impugn the men and women in law enforcement. I'm just saying, welcome to my day job. If you have a camera to clear up exactly what happened, that can go a long way. That's gonna be, in many senses, your best witness towards what happened. Likewise, I've had any number of cases where something's happened and um, the bad guys are still around, right? Nobody got hit, or someone just got wounded. Do you think they're gonna say, yeah, I tried to rob them? I've never had that happen. Not once have I had that happen. There's always a to totally different sides that couldn't be more different from one another. Uh, it'd be nice, it'd be fantastic, it would be amazing to have a camera there to clear that up. But keep in mind as well that it's only starting to record when you pull it out. Now, I'm not telling people you should pull out your firearm immediately upon the slightest altercation or provocation. That's also yeah. a very bad idea. Yes. And now that camera's gonna work against you, all right? Yeah. But just keep in mind that it's not seeing the whole thing, and that's where getting the proper training really comes into place to make sure that you know what to do when the chips are down, you know how to gather and process information, you know how to preserve that information, and then to relay what needs to be relayed to law enforcement, uh, and then, frankly, to keep your mouth shut and wait for mm -hmm. the cavalry. Yeah, and, and remember, too, that a camera only provides one perspective of what you're doing. Um, so that there's lots of other things going on around there, and. If you do decide to mount a camera on your firearm, like Tom said, do not be pulling that gun out so that you can post stuff to YouTube or something like that. Um, still utilize your gun only as a last resort and only to protect against an imminent deadly threat. Um, but the, the camera does add another layer of information and that's what everybody wants after a shooting is information and the camera will give another layer of information. Remember too, you better be doing everything correctly if you're gonna record it and hand it over to the police. Because if you're breaking the law and you're giving them evidence of your breaking of the law, you're gonna be even, you know, you're gonna be sad about that. So, yeah, yeah, um, that goes both ways. It's like mm -hmm. a tracer, I guess, right? Yeah. It, it works both for you and <laughs> yeah. against you, so yeah. just keep that in mind. So, um, can I discharge my weapon to stop an attack from coyotes, feral dogs, or attacking dogs? Um, again, check your local listings. I will tell you that you cannot discharge your weapon to defend your dog from being attacked by another dog. Your dog is, in the eyes of the law's property, and uh, that is not a deadly threat, uh, no matter how much you love your dog. So don't be shooting the neighbor's dog because it is attacking your dog. Um, coyotes, feral dogs, things like that. Um, yep, police officers shoot a lot of dogs in this country um, that, that are just vicious animals. And always, always you will be made out to look terrible because you just shot somebody's family pet. So um, understand that is gonna be a problem as well. But uh, again, you can use your gun against an imminent deadly threat. Right, you have to distinguish what are we protecting and what are we using? What, why are we using this force? And also where are we using this force? Because again, if we're on a school ground, if we're in something like that, if we're in a prohibited area, if we are in, in our state, if I'm within a certain amount of space from an inhabited dwelling, those are all things that can factor into this. And look, if you're in a rural area, even if you're near your neighbor's house, maybe law enforcement really doesn't care. 
And I'm not telling people, break the law, don't worry, the cops will, will dig the grave for you, all right? No one's saying that here. Let's be emphatically clear. I'm just saying that in some areas, you're going to get hyper-rigid enforcement and prosecution. And in other areas, there's going to be a little bit more of a common sense test. Oh, yeah, feral hogs. That's a big problem. It's a big problem in this state and many other mm -hmm. states. Um, so, you know, the DNRs in different states create different laws and saying you can do this, you can do that. So what I'm saying is that I'm going to put on my attorney hat is I would ask a client and I would take full stock the situation to see whether or not this was a self-defense situation or in the case of a feral hog, was this a pest control situation? Mm -hmm. Again, not telling you guys that this is how we game the system. That's not what it is. But I'm just saying that there's always different avenues and different lenses to look down to try to figure out what's going on here. Yeah, and uh, anytime you're firing your gun, especially in a populated area, there will be an investigation. There People will be. People are going to want to know what's yeah. going on. And so. the more populated it is, odds are the more zealous the prosecution and cops are going to be. Yep, absolutely. Recently in my city, a young man was randomly attacked by a biker gang. I'm reading this question. It was not in my city. Um, there were no weapons, but it was a pack mentality on one person. So apparently we've got a group of people beating on one guy. Would it someone be justified in drawing a gun to defend themselves if they felt their life was in danger? Well, you answered it right there. If you felt your life was in danger, you may draw your gun to defend yourself. How you are going to use your gun in a group of 5 to 15 people, that becomes an entirely different story and something we could talk about the tactics for a long time. Right. But... Um, Weapons were involved. Fists and feet are weapons. So, right. you know. Yeah, uh, I, I completely agree. At the end of the day, the self-defense laws are the self-defense laws. All right. If they're attacking you, you will have to be able to articulate why you're in reasonable fear of imminent death or great bodily harm. That's the standard here in Wisconsin. Again, uscca.com forward slash laws to check the national map for your local listings to see what they may be wherever you are. But at the end of the day, whether it's one attacker or 100 attackers, it's still the same self-defense laws. That doesn't really change. So you gotta keep that in mind. One thing that comes to my mind without going too far down the rabbit hole here is if I'm on the ground and everybody's kicking me, if I pull out a gun, realistically, Am I going to be able to control that? I'm realistically... Yeah, you, you might lose your gun. I think I'm going to wind up yeah. losing that. Um, and, and in a situation like that, um, large group of guys, and consider who your assailants are, too. People who are attacking you, th they're experienced fighters. Yeah. So you pull out your gun and you shoot one or maybe even two of them, that might not put the rest of the group into flight. That yeah. might just make sure somebody stomps your head and takes your gun. So... Um, Weapon retention and dealing with an attack by a large group is something that you really need to get trained for and think seriously about how you're going to respond to that. That's right. So That's right. I think this one's for you. It says, good morning, Tom. So, um, <laughs> Just wanted to pause and say hi, hello, good morning to Tom, Robert, and Jacob, uh, the three of you. I think Tom R., if I'm not mistaken, so I know who you are. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, you're always welcome here. Hopefully, we can get you something uh, useful to take away from. You got a fan club. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm not I Kevin. All right. I don't know that I, I have a fan. I don't club. have my I, own Facebook page. I don't I, know the blue check mark or have, whatever it is. I have right? at least one stalker, but I don't have a fan. Stalkers club, are good, so. but you don't well, pay them, right? Yes. Yeah, no, no. Okay. All right. Fair yeah, enough. So, <laughs> what can I expect from the law if I had to go across the street? to defend my widowed neighbor of 80 years. You have, you've lived in one house 80 years? No, I'm a word guy. It just gets a word me. guy, yeah. yeah. That's the journalism so, school you're yeah. heard about. So. 
Uh, look, at the end of the day, once more, check your local listings for the self-defense laws, uscca.com forward slash laws with an S. I promise I'm going to start saying that last. Um, but again, we're talking about defense of third person here. So was that person in reasonable fear of imminent death or great bodily harm or whatever the local standard to trigger self-defense laws might be? The fact that they're widowed might not make a difference. The fact that, as an example, if they have, a, if they have disabilities, if they can't move as well, those are factors that definitely might play into it. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, you are going to have to be able to articulate, if you're going to use deadly force, to a judge, jury possibly, why you were privileged to do so. Right, and, and ask yourself that question, do you want to be involved in that, not only that initial fight, but that legal fight that is inevitable afterwards? So um, if you really love your neighbor and you want to make sure that nothing happens to her, okay, great, go and get involved in that fight. Um, if you don't really know what's going on, um, you know, you might want to ask some serious questions before you get involved in a fight, as in any deadly force scenario. This, you know, deadly force is deadly force, so it doesn't matter how it's being applied, it, you're still going to be investigated for it. I had a client from some years ago who uh, intervened in an incident between really acquaintances, if that. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, good guy, good family guy, no record, anything like that. And um, something happened, and he tried to intervene. And uh, maybe he was able to protect somebody as a result. Nobody got hurt. No shots were fired. But at the end of the day, the family man is the one that walked out of that, staring at, down the barrel of decades in prison. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm not spilling any of the tea here as far as client conversations go, but I just... I have to wonder whether or not he ever had second thoughts about that. Ultimately, everything turned out fine in court. All the charges got dropped, but uh, not before long, protracted, and expensive, I'll add, legal battle ensued. High-stakes legal battle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and remember, your freedom is just as important as your life uh, in, right. the, in the aftermath of all right. of this stuff. So if you do train consistently or work <laughs> teaching at a large national firearms training facility, does that affect your ability in either criminal or civil litigation after a self-defense incident? So, um, you know, have you ever had to defend an instructor, at a, at, you know, a firearms instructor? And is there a higher level of... of uh, so to your first question, have you ever had to defend a firearms instructor? Not to my recollection. Mm -hmm. um, and I think part of that is just putting, to a degree, kind of the carriage before the horse. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is this. I think that, folks, if you are so... I don't think any of you watching these videos, hopefully, I, I hope, um, are, are in a very high-risk category to become clients. And the reason why I say that is because you're getting the knowledge, the training, and the experience now to avoid the mistakes that inevitably my clients made. Not all of them, but many of them there's always just that baseline risk of wrong time, wrong place, right? But there's beyond that baseline risk, a lot of other just, you know, various stages of poor decision-making to questionable decision-making to, I don't know if I would have done that. And we all draw that line differently. Maybe you're somebody who you have no problem going out to drinks and a show and late dinner and hanging out with friends at a bar in a downtown area at 2 a.m. Uh, whether you want to hear the truth or not is the fact that you are putting yourself in a slightly escalated situation there. I'm not saying you're a bad person. There's zero judgment when I say that. I'm just saying that, you know, most incidents happen after 10 o'clock at night, right? So you're just putting yourself in a slightly higher risk category. Um, we all take those different risks and so forth. But if you're so dialed in that you're watching this, my strong suspicion is that 
you have scaled back a lot of those risks because you're learning about the mistakes that other people make by watching content exactly like this. So in essence, you're learning from other people's mistakes so you don't do it yourself. I can't recall a single farm instructor that I had. I could be wrong, I apologize if, if I'm forgetting someone. Uh, but I think here's the way, because I've, I've seen stuff like this play out in court, here's the way that I think it would play out is that the prosecutor, if they're being heavy-handed, which many are, uh, they're going to try to make it look like, they're going to try to frame the narrative, frame the story for the judge and jury that we have this Tackleberry character. For those of you who uh, are, over, are under the age of 40, we're talking about you know, somebody who's just really into guns and shooting and just needs to be, you know, basically somebody who you know, might be a, a good guy but a bad actor when we're talking about um, being involved and making maybe overzealous decisions, drawing too quickly, shooting too soon, all that kind of stuff. They're gonna try to frame it like you're some sort of nut job who's out there for blood and uh, that was your motivation. It was not self-defense, it was that. And that's the reason why self-defense ought not apply in this case. On the flip side, the pro-defense side now, is I think that your entire curriculum, your body of work, your example of watching content just like this may become admissible in court. And the judge and jury may be able to hear witnesses and experts and God forbid watch this content as well about the fact that, you no, this is not about killing people. This is not about stacking bodies. This is nothing about that. This is about protecting your life and the life of your loved ones, period, full stop. We're shooting to stop the threat, nothing else. Nothing else, that's it. And as soon as the threat is stopped, we are no longer shooting. That is it. We're learning training, we're learning techniques, we're learning laws, so we know when and when, when, and when not we can shoot, all right? But that's it. So I would say that to that degree, the pro you're into this is the fact that hopefully your experienced and knowledgeable defense attorney will know and understand how to leverage this background um, this cloud of information that shows your good character, your good training, and what you were trained to do was not to stack bodies, it was to save your life and nothing more. Very well put. I have <laughs> that, my moments. Yes, yeah, that, that was working very well. <coughs> I'm gonna take a little break from uh, asking and answering questions right now uh -oh. to, talk, to talk about the Concealed Carry Expo coming okay. up May 17th yeah. through the 19th. 17th or 19th? Yeah, I think, think those are the dates. Next Friday, Saturday, yeah, Sunday. Yeah, next yeah. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. In uh, beautiful <laughs> Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, by a show of hands out there, raise your hand, and uh, who's all going to go to the expo? Um, yeah, because we can see through the camera yeah. on your computer, the NSA has worked that yeah, out for Yeah, us. it's good. We um, got it. Yeah. So um, I, I want everybody to come to the Concealed Carry Expo because it is an educational and consumer opportunity to really get fully involved in the Concealed Carry lifestyle and... Tom's going to be there giving a presentation <laughs> or two. I, I think we got you on the schedule for lots of stuff. So. I, I'm going to be giving one presentation for sure, just solo, and then I'll be on a legal Q&A paddle. I think that both happens on Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing Max nod his head off to the right. Yep. I just got the thumbs up. That means it's official. 
Uh, and then separately, Friday night. Yes. So if you've seen our LTBs, our live training broadcasts, these are the, 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 the panels we sit here, Tim's here and so forth. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's me, you, and Tim. Uh, yes, along with uh, trainees. Uh, trainees? Me and Beth Alcazar as well. Okay, perfect, yeah, perfect. So, so Beth yeah. Alcazar, uh, another, another fantastic member of the USTCA family. Hopefully, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of her content as well. So we'll be doing a live LTB, a live panel, and the audience is going to be able to be there. There's going to be questions. There's going to be, um, I think, afterwards, there's going to be time for shaking hands, yep. jibber-jabber. And, and, yeah, and, and fellowship and stuff like that. So right. uh, um, tickets are still available. The live training broadcast is a, a ticket-only event on Friday evening. And what we'll be doing is we'll be showing some previous episodes of The Proving Ground and talking to the trainees who were involved in those episodes of The Proving Ground. We have um, two different people who are coming to do that. After the second episode, after we show that, then we'll be staging a live scenario-based training operation right there in the expo hall, um, showing people what we're doing. So uh, it's, it's in the big banquet room we'll be going on there. We'll be doing a live scenario-based training operation, and then we'll talk to the trainee immediately after she comes off the, the, the show floor, apparently, you know, as, as we do gotcha. this. Gotcha. So, so immediate yeah. feedback and response. Yeah. No time to rehearse or anything nope. like that. So. It's as live as live can get. Yes, absolutely. And uh, we've, we've created a what will uh, prove to be a pretty intense scenario for this young lady. If you've been watching the mm. other member-only content, um, the trainee will be Jess. Um, she's involved in our member-only content, and just 12 weeks ago, she didn't even carry a gun, and now we're moving her all the way through this process mm. to the point where she's involved in a scenario-based training operation, and she has to make those decisions on the fly. And we've been doing these LTBs for, I mean, years and years at this point. Yeah, we're, we're into 14 of them now. So. There's been some really spooky ones. I, I remember yeah. the clown one with yeah. the knives. That was, <laughs> yep. that was a little nuts. There's, yeah. there's been some really good ones. If you have access to it, or if you remember what I'm talking about, there's a lot of value here, folks. Go back, check mm -hmm. it out. Yep, and, uh, and we'll be doing that live, and uh, we'll also have our live fire range so people can test firearms, and uh, we'll be giving away that uh, new Charter Arms Professional. That's the gun that uh, we at Concealed Carry Magazine worked with Charter Arms to develop a brand-new class of fighting revolver. It's a seven-shot thirty-two Magnum. I'm about to cough. I get choked up. <laughs> <laughs> Emotional moment. Yeah, working okay. on it. All right. A seven-shot thirty-two Magnum revolver um, with a three-inch barrel. Uh, I'm the first person in America who has shot this gun, and we'll be giving it away to a winner who will become the second person in America to shoot the Charter Arms Professional. And then we'll have some there at the live fire range so that people can test them out and see what they're like. That's so. going to be great. So there's going to be a live yeah. fire range where people are, can actually shoot guns there. Yeah, for free. Just wow. walk up, you know, take five shots under the uh, careful instruction of a USCCA instructor and uh, see how you like the gun, see how you like the caliber. Um, and there's multiple sponsors involved with this, so there'll be lots of different guns out there to shoot. That's going to be really neat. It's a great opportunity yeah. if you've been thinking about something. You don't have to go down to your local range. You just come to the fantastic expo. Yep. Just show up at the live fire range and uh, wait in mm -hmm. line and pick out your gun and get up there and fire a few shots and see how you like it. It's pretty so, fantastic. Looking yeah. forward to it. Along with hundreds of vendors and all sorts of yeah. great stuff. Uh, also, I need to mention the, uh, the women's showroom. Uh, the women's showroom at the expo is a space just for women, staffed by women, so that ladies can go in there and try on clothes and try on holsters and look at purses and talk about guns and learn from women. So like, like I always say, we don't have Uncle Bob saying, well, little lady, you got to have that gun right there. You're, you'll never make it out alive. Um, I don't know why I use that voice. It's, it's a good voice. Yeah. I wouldn't just yeah. stick with it. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll just go with that. For go the, with it. The Uncle go Bob it. voice. Uncle Bob. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, you know, it reminds me of Aunt Mary's killer cookies. 
she baked the cookies and Uncle Bob smelled Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, he okay. came running in from the field and got hit by a combine. Right. There you go. Him. Uncle Killed Bob the cookies. killer. There you go. Yeah. All right. So, With that voice. That's a dad joke. Got, yeah. Yeah. Probable stairs. cause being developed right here for that search warrant. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Let's get back to answering some questions. Um, so uh, Robert and Tom R. will be going to the expo and going to Proving Ground Live. Well, great, Robert and Tom R. Bring your friends because... Um, this is valuable stuff, and it's it's very important, and we want to see you all there. I so. think there may have been a question mark after going to Proving Ground Live. Going to Proving Max, come on. Oh. Max, Max doesn't have the answer. Okay, well, Robert and Tom are get your tickets for Proving Ground Live <laughs> and uh, get in there to take a look at that because we will be having some hors d'oeuvres and drinks afterwards. You can meet Tom Grieve right there in person. Kevin, that's the one you Live. want. So maybe he'll let you, you know, feel his shirt. Oh, that's like a nice drive fit. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. We don't play around I just, here. I just learned something yeah. here. Max really wants us to get back to questions now, <laughs> um, so we will do that. Suppose I'm out in public. What should I do with my weapon following a firefight? So not just a, you know, a deadly force incident. This is a firefight. We got tracers. Yep. After I've called 911 and I'm waiting for the police to arrive. I will start from, uh, from my position. Reholster reluctantly. Okay? <clears throat> you've had to pull your gun out and you've had to use it because something was so dangerous that you were using your gun to save your life, move to a position of tactical advantage, look for cover, find a safe place, kind of. Keep your gun out and ready in the event that there is another threat or this threat revives or reaches for a gun on the ground or something like that. But then as the police arrive, when you hear the sirens and see the red and blue lights and hear the, the footsteps coming up, put your gun down on the ground, put your hands up and say, he attacked me. Um, that's, that's probably the, the quick answer. Yeah, the, the only, I guess, permutation on that would be, you know, the advantage to what Kevin suggested about reholstering is that if the guy does revive, if his buddy comes around the corner, because I assure you, having prosecuted and being involved in court and seen in court any number of robbery and burglary situations, it's almost never one person. It mm -hmm. is invariably two, three, four guys that are involved, you know, the driver, the lookout man, so forth. So if his buddy or something like that comes around, reholstering gives you the advantage of you are still in the fight if you need to be. Yeah. Um, the other permutation would be to, you know, once the sirens are really close and you yeah. can see them, would be to put the firearm on the ground and step away. Mm -hmm. And that way you're enhancing your safety for law enforcement so you don't have the unholster or how are we going to do yeah. this. Well, and, and, you know, I apparently didn't make myself clear. When I say reholster reluctantly, that okay. you shouldn't reholster. You should right. keep your gun out. Right, right. And if you're going to reholster, only do so reluctantly. I need this spelled out. I need to work on my communication skills. So, <laughs> um, especially, you know, when I'm speaking to an attorney. Because, I, I only listen yeah. to Uncle Bob. Yeah, that's just what well, it is. Well, I'm, I'm not doing the voice anymore. So, um, how much, if any, first aid is legally required of me after an incident? Um, none. Go. I'm unaware <laughs> of any state that that you have a duty to aid somebody who just tried to kill you. Um, I keep in mind that that may change with time and place. So, if you're watching this in the future, don't know. But as of right now, and to the best of my knowledge, again, uscca.com forward slash laws, L-A-W-S, to check out a fantastic map compiled right here by the folks at the USCCA, by Bonnie, uh, who puts together the, and maintains this fantastic resource that we have, this, this treasure, and I don't use that word lightly, but it really is fantastic, to be able to see what are all these laws that are out there. 
Um, but to my knowledge, no, there, there's nothing, and there could be tactical disadvantage of trying to do so. You're putting your right. life at yeah, risk. Yeah, you're, you're moving closer to someone who is just trying to kill you. So, um, And understand that you will be able to testify honestly that you got help for this person by dialing 911. Um, and again, you know, what, what we have in, in, uh, in the police circles is treat to the level of your training. So, I mean, what level of training do you have to try to apply first aid to this person? Have you been trained to treat a gunshot wound? Do you have the materials to treat a gunshot wound? The answer might be no. So, you know, protect yourself in, in all aspects of this, um, not only tactically, but legally, physically, and make sure, yeah, if you want to be able to say to the prosecutor, yep, I tried to get him help afterwards, I called 911 and I got the professionals there to give him the help that he needed. So. Right. And we've got a live question just came in from Tom R. Oh, boy. If I'm carrying a backup firearm, so maybe a second holster in the belt, mm -hmm. maybe an ankle holster, something like that, uh, should I tell police uh, when, when they arrive? Uh, my answer, speaking as an attorney, is yes. Yeah. I actually had a client once who uh, was in the back of a squad car, not handcuffed, and uh, he had his concealed carry gun on him. Mm -hmm. And he apparently never told the police about it. Yeah. And it's this older gentleman, and he just pulled out his handgun, kind of looked at it, didn't really know what to do, left it here on his lap. The officers are kind of around at the scene. And we're watching this on video, and just like, holy sh yo, whoa. Yeah. How, does, how did this guy live through this? So then he just, like, I don't know, just uh, real no, I'm yeah. and, But, I mean, that, that can be a very dangerous scenario otherwise. Yeah. And uh, um, the, the best thing to do there is please alert the officer to any other weapons that you have while they're talking to you, while you're showing your hands. You have, Wait a minute, I have a backup gun or I have a knife or I have something else on here. And, and let the officers decide what they want to do with that at that point. Police officers arriving at the scene of a shooting, the first responsibility is to secure the scene. That's to make sure that everybody there at the scene is safe and officers feel most safe when nobody else has guns. So they, and you know, call it right or wrong, um, you know, you can say that I'm an anti-Second Amendment cop or something by saying that, but when I get to a scene and it has been a gun call, I want to make sure that nobody else has a gun around there because I want to go home safely. We'll give the guns back when we're done, when everything's safe and, and, and how that all works. But yes, please let those officers know because there will be a moment of panic if somebody pulls out a gun during the interview process or something like that. And that's not what you want to have happen. Um, during traffic stops, I regularly tell people, if they have a firearm, don't reach for yours and I won't reach for mine. That's what we want. We don't want anyone pulling out guns at the scene of any sort of crime. Right, and the other thing as well is the fact that, uh, to my mind, if, you know, it's gonna help our, our client show in court that they were compliant, they were alert to the situation, they are pro-safety, they're part of the solution, not part of the problem, so to speak. In other words, if, uh, another good cop term, uh, that, you know, in other words, if you were a bad guy, why are you notifying the cops of all this stuff? Because that's usually not what happens right. in my experience. Usually it's, oh, the, the gun in my waistband? I don't know how, these aren't even my pants. Yeah. Like, I don't know this guy. Yeah. That's how the bad guys work. Is right? there anything illegal in your car? There's not supposed to be. That, you're, you're right. <laughs> uh, there, there, there wasn't, uh, you know, yeah. last time I checked. Yeah. Hmm. No, it ain't hmm. my car. It's my girlfriend's car. It's my girlfriend's yeah. car. Yeah. It's my cousin's car. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, we will be traveling across country in our RV. Well, I'm first happy to hear that everybody needs a vacation. Self-care is important. Remember that, Max. All right.
I have a concealed carry permit for my home state, and I want to bring my handgun along with me. Well, grab uscca.com laws, look at our reciprocity map, or open up the USCCA app on your phone and uh, punch in your home state, and then punch in where you're going, and that app and that map will tell you where you are valid and where you are not, and then you can look at the laws page and see how you have to store your gun going through those states where you're not legal. One step further, we actually did, I forget if it was an Ask Me Anything or, or an attorney uh, AMA, but I know there's a video out there focused on RVs. I know we did an LTB, live training broadcast, talking about campgrounds. Yep. And I know that we also did some specific content for carrying, national parks, all this other kind of stuff. So there's two yep. fantastic resources to go check out to specifically really dial in. If you're, if you're into RVing, if you're into camping, we have content out there. Scroll through your panel, hopefully you'll find it. Yeah, carrying a gun on the road is just one more thing that you have to think about for every place where you're going. And 50 states, at least 50 different laws. So please follow those laws to make sure that you don't get sideways when you're on your trip. That's a really good way to ruin a vacation to yeah. end up in handcuffs and, yeah. and stuff like that. So I received stickers from the USCCA ammo manufacturers and the like, does posting them inside my house pose any negative legal concerns should I be involved in a self-defense incident? I'm gonna let you do the decorating story. Well, I mean, if you go exactly back to what we were talking about maybe four or five minutes ago about how a prosecutor could conceivably use something, but their mere act of doing that should allow your defense attorney or may allow your defense attorney to introduce all sorts of really positive stuff. Um, we talk about opening the door in court. So oftentimes, and I'm not going to go too far into this rabbit hole because we could be here all day, all right? Um, but sometimes judges will say when you're arguing about what kind of evidence can come into in front of a jury because a jury trial is kind of like a play or a movie, right? There's all sorts of stuff that the jury doesn't get to see, that the audience doesn't get to see, right? Uh, tons, in fact. And that can be extraordinarily frustrating for the parties, for clients, when you're explaining to them, look, the judge said that we can only introduce this if the prosecutor opens the door or if a witness opens the door by saying this or doing that. Then we can bring this in, right? So it may allow, and look, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen here. I'm just saying that this is an example of something that can happen. It could be that the mere fact of that being there, and frankly, the mere fact of you being a member, you might be able to get all this great stuff in anyways, right? Um, but... I guess at the end of the day, really how the jury is going to be deciding this case, how they will be instructed by the judge to decide the case, is to focus on the facts, search for the truth. That's what they're going to be focused on. If you were privileged to use deadly force, if you were privileged to use your firearm in self-defense, defense of another, whatever it might be, that's what you got. All right. Thank you very much. Should I take pictures of the scene before the police arrive? Sometimes evidence might get overlooked, shuffled, or lost. <laughs> we know that you should point out evidence uh, when, when police arrive. Um, do you want to be the guy standing at the scene snapping pictures with your cell phone camera? Uh, I don't think I've ever been asked this question before. Um, See, we're breaking new ground. We are breaking Thank new ground. Thank you, viewers. Thank you, viewers. Out the spot, so. so here's, let me unpack this a little bit. So... Uh, for starters, if law enforcement know that you're taking pictures of the scene, I mean, your cell phone's gone. 
All right, and it may have been gone anyways, but if it wasn't going to be gone before, now it will be. The police are going to take that as evidence because you have pictures of the scene. And then they'll see scene. all your other pictures. And that, you know exactly where I'm going to this. Now they'll see all of your other pictures too because maybe if they just grab your cell phone, maybe they don't have enough probable cause to open it up to take a look to see what you've got going on in there. But you've got pictures of the evidence. Now a judge is probably going to be that much more willing to sign a warrant to pop that phone open and to decrypt it to whatever it is. And now all your Facebook messages, your meme folders, whatever it might be, it might all be coming out. Um, I'm not saying that to scare people. I'm just saying that keep in mind that for every action, there is a reaction. There is a consequence, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Uh, so that's just something you've got to be very, very, very cautious about. Internet browsing history, depending upon how the local laws might work wherever you are, there could be no end to where that rabbit hole goes. So I'm not saying that in the sense of, yeah, take pictures or don't take pictures, because at the end of the day, every situation is like a snowflake, right? Every situation is unique. Um, but what I mean by that is, yeah, I don't know what's on your phone. And I don't know if you're going to be terribly proud or enthusiastic about everything from your phone coming out in front of the jury, coming out in front of the press, mm -hmm. coming out in front of your employer and everyone else. Um, don't know. Yeah. I don't know how good of a job that the officers would have been doing gathering that evidence at the scene. In other words, if they would have gotten it and preserved everything properly anyways, what are we really gaining mm -hmm. versus do they screw it up? So it's... It's really hard to answer those kind of questions because at the end of the day, it's a crapshoot. And unfortunately, I, as the attorney, I never have all the information. And frankly, you often don't have all the information either because you've just been involved in a self-defense shoot and you've, your stress and adrenaline is going through the roof. Here's one big thing, though, and then uh, I'll, I'll pass the mic over, is you've just been in a self-defense shoot. Someone just tried to kill you. Officers show up and see you snapping cell phone pictures, and we're assuming that the buddy didn't jump you while, while you're focused, you know, zooming and doing all that kind of stuff. Uh, that doesn't seem like a very safe thing to be doing. And, you know, Kevin, I'm, I'm curious to get your, your reaction to this, but putting on, on my hat as somebody whose instinct is never to take a selfie <laughs> uh, or, or, or really any kind of pictures whatsoever, I look at that and it's bringing a lot of baggage as far as um, people who do do that, what I might think about them. Uh, and it just brings a lot of, you know, how serious is this? How yeah. serious is this guy that they're doing all this kind of stuff? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I, I think it's you're going down a weird place. It's a, it's a great idea. It's a great question. But I think you're going to a weird place. I don't know how it would work out. I don't know what's on your, what's on your phone. Uh, and we are assuming that there's no other threats and you'll be totally safe to do so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this, this is a good question and this is exactly why we do this stuff. Um, question that Tom has never heard before. And yeah. that, that's outstanding that we, we've gotten <laughs> that in there. And um, quite honestly, I didn't think about the legal implications of, you know, they're going to take your phone. You're right. Then you, there's evidence on that phone. Right. We're going to snatch that thing up. And not only that, just the practical aspect of now you're without your phone, right. and and you're going to have to get a new one. And how are you, you know, how are you going to stay in contact or or do any other things that you need to do? So, let's move on to John's question uh, because this is a very important one. Being disabled, I walk with a cane. Can I defend myself sooner than someone who is healthy? And I'm really excited about this question because, 
in the very near future, we're going to be showing you some videos that we just shot for Proving Ground 14. Two of the trainees involved in Proving Ground 14 were confined to wheelchairs. Mm. Um, one young lady was involved in a car accident, and, and mm. she's now using a wheelchair. Uh, another former sheriff's deputy that I worked with um, had an accident while cutting down a tree. Mm. He is confined to a wheelchair. Mm. And um, initially, we watched uh, the young lady uh, pull out her gun and start shooting at a bad guy, and I thought, oh, boy, she's going to jail. And as soon as she was done, she started explaining some things to me about her being in the wheelchair. And I was thinking, okay, hmm. right. She's, she's kind of got this stuff covered over here. So I'm going to say yes, if you can't escape or reasonably fight back, you can use more force sooner. But again, your force has to be objectively reasonable. And you're going to need an attorney to help you through that process to explain why you did what you did. I'm going to say no, but I'm not disagreeing with Kevin, so hear me out. At the end of the day, the law is the law, whether you're in a wheelchair or not. Now, again, check your local listings. Maybe there is some yeah. sort of special exemption or carve-out. But the law is the law. You have to be articulate why you're in reasonable fear of imminent death or great bodily harm or whatever your local law might be. Where that threshold starts is, might be different for somebody who's in a wheelchair, might be mm -hmm. different for somebody on an, on an oxygen tank or a CPAP or BiPAP or whatever it might be. Um, so it's not that the law changes. And the reason why I'm saying no, you can't use it sooner than someone else because that implies to me that you can use it before you're in reasonable uh, fear of imminent death or great bodily harm. When in fact, no, you're just in that stage sooner than someone else might be. Okay. Uh, and also keep in mind that if there is a duty to treat somewhere, obviously that's going to be a great pushback. So Kevin's 100% right. Everything he said is 100% right. I disagreed with it, but then I agreed with it in my answer. So I guess that makes me an attorney, I, I suppose. But it's two different ways of looking at the same question. I on the surface, they're totally different, but in reality, they're the exact same. So just keep that in mind. And that's really maybe one of the takeaways here I'd, I'd, I'd suggest is the fact that this is how tricky this stuff is. And this is the reason why, why you guys are here getting this content is the fact that you have a very simple-looking question and we can unpack this, and believe me, I'm sure Kevin and I, I know Kevin and I, can sit here for a lot longer <laughs> going through that question. Um, it's a fantastic question, but there's rarely just one answer. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, and um, uh, that's why I want to bring you in on, on some of these videos that we shot, especially the wheelchair videos, uh, based on the decision-making um, that both of our trainees had, um, and uh, specifically her inability to move and get out of the way and, and what she was going to do, and how quickly this guy who was six foot four was covering that distance coming <laughs> towards her. It was, right. uh, it, was, it was pretty impressive to mm. pull it all together. Mm. And that'll be coming out in Proving Ground 14 in July, so get ready for that one. So we'll, we'll, right. we'll put a plug in there for that. How close does someone have to be to be considered self-defense for you and your family if he has knives or some other sort of weapon? I'm going to let you give the, you know, the one-word answer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, one word. <laughs> close. No, but not that close. Close, but not that close. Yeah. So you've got, you've got drills like the Tuller drill and so forth, where the FBI mm -hmm. studied how quickly can someone cover a certain distance in the amount of time that it takes somebody to recognize the threat, diagnose the threat, draw their weapon, produce it on target, and pull the shot. And depending upon whether or not you want to go by their older study or their more recent study, I think it's either mm -hmm. 21 feet or 28 feet, right? Yeah, yeah. It, and people argue over yeah, that right. as well. And right, I mean, Coke, yeah. Pepsi, yeah, it's yeah. basically what it is. But even if we take the more conservative number, 21 feet, so about seven yards. 
uh, that's, that's going to be what that distance is. But keep in mind that this is contingent upon your ability to diagnose the threat, recognize the threat, and then quickly draw and produce your firearm. That's leaving you. So if you time yourself or, or mm -hmm. somebody who's athletic, because you're not going to get attacked by a gang in a wheelchair, all right? Or someone you're, with a walker. Or somebody with yeah. a walker. You're going to get attacked by athletically fit and capable, probably adult or teenage males. That's what it's going to be, all right? So find somebody who fits that criteria and see how long it takes them to run 21 feet, which is probably about the distance of the living room. Keep in mind, though, that they don't have to accelerate and decelerate all within that, all right? So they can keep accelerating and just launch themselves into you. This is real life. Um, but just, just try that. Take a tape measure, measure that distance out in your driveway, and see how long it takes somebody to run that distance. They're probably going to cover it in a couple seconds, yeah. right? And now... Make sure, and I cannot emphasize this enough, that your firearm is unloaded. Unloaded. Nothing in the chamber, nothing in the magazine, no loaded magazine inserted. All right? um, ensure that your firearm is unloaded, and then just to ensure, we never want to point a firearm at someone, even if it's an unloaded one. Treat every firearm like it's loaded. Right? So practice pointing your unloaded firearm in a safe direction. How long it takes you to go from however it is you normally carry your firearm. So don't open carry it unless you open carry, but don't open carry it then outside all of your clothing with no jacket. If you normally conceal carry, if it's normally inside the waistband, then conceal carry inside the waistband. If you normally wear a jacket or a shirt, ideally, of course, it's gonna be concealed, so something's gotta be over it, then carry it like that. And see exactly how long it takes, right? Have mm -hmm. somebody off to the side, not downrange where you're pointing, but somebody off to the side, you know, just at some point, yell, go, right? And that's supposedly the second where you identify this. Keep in mind, in real life, it'll take a little longer, right? But see how long it takes for you to draw and point your unloaded firearm in that safe direction where no one is standing. And you're going to see, holy crap. Yeah, how the, far they got. How, how far they got. And because I think about this stuff all the time, I'm going to give you folks a way to do this with a loaded firearm safely, perfectly, perfectly well. Oh. So at your range, you can do this at your range. Um, have uh, someone fit, you know, I would use one of my children and my adult children, um, stand beside you with your hand on your shoulder and begin running backwards away from you, begin running away from you to the rear. As soon as that person's hand leaves your shoulder, you draw your gun and fire two shots downrange on target. Okay. At what distance are we putting yeah. the target? You know, I would put matter? the target at, at five yards. You know, okay. just something that, that needs to, that you have to aim at on target. That's five yards, not five feet. Yeah, so, yeah. five right. yards. So you're, you're looking at 15 feet and you want to hit that target because you need something to shoot at. Right. Your, your training partner should carry a beanbag and drop that beanbag when he hears the first shot because he will keep moving, obviously, when he goes after that. Then you can measure the distance from your mm. back to that beanbag. He's running away from you in a live-action shooting scenario. Hmm. Maybe it's something I can put together for an Into the Fray video or something like that to show people how to test that. That's a lot of distance, often 21 feet or more. And understand, too, that when you're doing this drill, you're calm and you know the drill is coming. Right. So you're prepared to do it. Typically, if somebody comes charging at you, you have to go through the entire OODA loop, you know, the observe, orient, decide, act, and you're still answering these questions. Is this happening? What's happening? This is not happening. And now you finally decide to act. So, um, you, you know, if, if somebody's out there waving a knife and they're 30 feet away, I'm going to have my gun out and be ready to sort of uh, cut down that, 
distance and reaction time. And there's some super interesting science. We won't get into it today because we're, we're, we keep getting the wrap it up sign off camera. Yeah. But there's some super interesting science going into exactly how our brain works under those exact circumstances. I'm yeah. sure we've all seen and heard in movies, real life maybe, of something bad happens and a large percentage of people just freeze when that something bad happens. Mm -hmm. So I was reading an interesting article recently, a, a scientific, this is, this is what I do. Um, Wow. Talking about, I know, I'm right? hang out with you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a big night at the <laughs> Greaves house. Yep. Yeah. Um, but uh, talking about how, all right, so this happens. Your prefrontal cortex recognizes this. Now the message has to go back to your cerebrum. So you see something, now it goes to the back of your head. Now we have to compare it to past instances. What we have information, what does this information mean? And then we have to be able to recognize what the information means before it can leave that part of the brain. And now we go to the action part of the brain. And what do we do? And this is, again, maybe a great spot to leave it without going too far into that science, which is really interesting. Uh, but this is where it gets to the fact that you are, by watching stuff like this, you know, Kevin has a great expression I picked up from, so I'm going to give him a little bit of an ego stroke here, uh, of, you know, the body cannot go where the mind has not been. Right? Is that how you word it? Yep. That's All right. exactly it. Nailed it. Yes. All right. Folks, this is science. Right? The mind cannot go, or Barney, the, the, see, now I screwed yeah. it up, right? All right. Well, Let's one for right. two, one yeah. for two. The body cannot go where the mind has not already been. By bringing your mind to this place, you are, and thinking through these scenarios, you are actually conditioning the portion of your brain that recognizes threats to respond more quickly, which literally could be the difference between recognizing a threat and allowing you to act sooner versus freezing and try to make sense of it. What I'm telling you is that there is actually science. Maybe we'll get into this in another video another date and go into a little bit more depth if anybody is, is as boring as I am. Um, maybe we can break into some tax law. Yeah. You know, we can, yeah. we can go through, you know, some deductions, you mm -hmm. know. Well, we'll see. I don't, know, I don't want to get too racy, folks. But, um, but you are con you're training yourself to recognize threats and respond more quickly so you don't freeze up. This is the sort of thing that can literally save your life, and I'm not overhyping that when, when we talk about that. This, thinking about all this, going through these scenarios, watching this, there is a very real purpose why we do this. And it's literally to save lives. Yeah, and, and these are the things that you have to think about and answer these questions well before anything happens. So I'm glad that you're here with us today. Um, so as I often say, as my therapist says, our time is up now. <laughs> so I'm gonna let Tom take us out because he has all of those important technical things to yes. say. I, I just sit here and look good during this part. He, I mean, he does look good. I mean, let's face it. Um, <laughs> so, folks, as you know, I always, always, always ask for reviews. Uh, even if you've not left reviews or if you have left reviews in the past, we're always rotating where it goes. Part of how we're able to develop this fantastic and free content to, uh, to Platinum and Elite level members is the fact that uh, basically our firm get something fantastic out of it. We love seeing and reading your reviews, and Google loves it when people search us and leave reviews on our website. It helps optimize us, helps us get the word out about us as a result, and people see us more on Google, and they give us calls and so forth. So folks, I have a very specific ask for today. Same ask as last time, which is the fact that we've recently opened up a new wing of our criminal defense firm that focuses exclusively on family law. So if you feel like you want to be that A-plus reviewer, keeping in mind that Google and the internet, four out of five stars is a failing grade. So we would ask for only five stars if you felt like I did an okay job, all right? Uh, 
if you feel like being that A-plus reviewer, I always personally read and review and respond to every single one of these comments, but we're looking for family law-only content on that. So if you feel so inclined, it'd be fantastic if you said, hey, great family law attorney, something like that, but only if you feel like you want to do that, right? Otherwise, just a generic five-star review, fantastic attorney, something like that would be fantastic. I look forward to personally reading and responding to them. Uh, every single review really, really, really helps, and from uh, all of us at the firm, we tremendously appreciate taking that time to do it. You can either click on the link, you can Google Grieve Law, G-R-I-E-V-E Law, and you're looking at the Google response section for the Google My Business, the upper right-hand corner, and the name for our family law website is Divergent Family Law, so you're just Googling Divergent Family Law right here in Wisconsin. Well, thank you very much for being here again, Tom. Thank you. And uh, you always provide great insight, <laughs> and, and you make me feel better about myself. So that's... Well, you know, they, some, they, they train me to, you know... Somebody's got to do it because Max won't. So. <laughs> Max won't. All right. Well, thank you again, folks, for being here. And tune in every time we do these. We'll send you a little notification announcement and let you know that we are regularly doing these live webinars for our Elite and Platinum members to give you the information you need to keep you safe. Thanks, folks.